Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Soraya Lane has an impressive backlist in contemporary romance, more than 30 books to her name, but she's hitting the Kindle bestseller charts with her most recent books, World War II fiction centred on women's lives. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Soraya talks about the road to becoming a successful international author and why she's not apologising for treating writing as a business. But before we get to Soraya, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Soraya's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review so others will find us too. But now, here's Soraya. Hello there, Soraya, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for asking me. Look, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you wanted to write fiction? And if so, was there any sort of catalyst for it? Look, I don't know if there was a specific catalyst for it. I've always been a, a huge reader and I've I've probably been a writer all my life, really, from when I sort of uh, was first at school and um, came up with these wonderful stories that I used to share with my teachers. Um, so I think I've just always enjoyed writing and always loved reading. And I think sometimes if you're a, a very you know keen reader, um, the next step often is to try and write something yourself. And so I, I started, really found my, I found my way writing again um, when I was at university and just thought you know, I actually want to do this. I want to see my books on the shelf um, with my name on there. And um, and I just sort of started and went from there. Fantastic. Well, you've now got an extremely impressive backlist of contemporary romance. How, how long have you actually been writing then? Have you been writing pretty solidly since university? I have. It's actually, um, I haven't thought about how many years actually. So I started writing um, quite seriously, actually writing my first full-length novel uh, when I was at university. I was probably around 19, 20, and that took me two years to write that first book. Um, so I have been writing for a long time. I sold when I was, I sold my first book when I was pregnant with my first child and I was 27 then. So I have been, um, I have been writing for a little while now. I guess I've been published for about nine years. Fantastic. So you've now got a really impressive backlist of contemporary romance, nearly 30 books I counted on your website. Um, And we'll talk about that contemporary romance a little later, but the most recent books uh, are branching out into historical fiction and they've been doing particularly well. Both Wives of War and The Spitfire Girls have been Amazon uh, charters and Kindle bestsellers. Now they are World War II historical fiction. Tell us why you made that change. Oh, look, it was, um, it's something that sort of came about organically in the end. I mean, I, I still love writing contemporary romance, but I actually went back to university and did an MFA, so a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing at the University of Canterbury. And 
I, um, I I went back there and thought I need to challenge myself and write something different. And I'd had this idea for um, a historical World War II um, a story for quite some time. And I thought, you know, this is this is the chance. Uh, this is the time for me to to really challenge myself and write something different. So that's how it all started. And by chance, that ended up being my bestseller, the the novel I wrote during my MFA. And it's really just gone from there. And it's been just so exciting seeing those books do well. And um, and yeah, seeing Wives of War uh, on the top 20 Amazon charts list was just probably one of the most exciting uh, moments of my career, to be honest. Yes, I can imagine. But, but you are still doing the contemporary romance as well? Yes, I am. I am. Um, so I'm still writing contemporary romance for St. Martin's, uh, who are a division of Macmillan Publishing in New York. And um, yeah, so I still do write the contemporary romance, not not so much now. And I do miss it, but um, I'm really enjoying writing historical uh, fiction. And yeah, I guess it's a, it's quite a challenge. It's been very different starting out in a new genre and finding my way, but I, I'm really enjoying it now. So pleased with the direction we're going in. Yes, and why World War Two? Uh, I think the first idea I had was set uh, at the end of World War Two. It was actually the, called the War Bride Club then, and it was later rebranded um, by Amazon um, as Voyage of the Heart. And after that one did well, my editor said to me, you know, well, let's do another World War II story. That was fantastic. And so it really went from there and the books have sold well and we've had great feedback. So it's just been a natural fit really to keep writing um, during that time period. Fantastic. Now, the ones I've seen, each of them focuses on three quite different women and they come from different backgrounds and their experiences being thrown together in war mean that their lives become interwoven. And I just yes. wondered if there was something about the number three that had p particular appeal, either for readers or for you as a writer. Sure. Well, actually, the first uh, book that I mentioned before, uh, Voyage of the Heart, that has four main women in oh. it. And I wrote that one and realized how hard it was to have four main characters and interweave four stories like that. So I actually ended up, um, for the next story, I, I decided to do just three main characters. And and then that just, it felt like a, a really natural balance for me. There was enough going on, enough conflict, uh, having those three characters, and it, it didn't feel too onerous trying to balance them. And I found it quite, or much easier than doing four. So I, I kept going with having three main women in, in my novels. Uh, the latest one I've actually got coming out um, in July is uh, The Girls of Pearl Harbor. And that story, I actually did start with, with four women in that story. So it's a wee bit different in that it does start with four women. Um, and one of them is put in um, quite a difficult position and may or may uh, not make it to the end of the story. <laughs> no spoilers here. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that sounds fabulous, actually. Um, yeah, I, I love the whole thing around Pearl Harbor, so that that has already got my interest. Um, it was great to write. It, it was a really great story, actually. Yeah. That's fantastic. And as we've mentioned, you are also a very experienced contemporary romance author, and you've written quite a few cowboy romances set in Montana or yeah. Texas. Um and I wondered, I've, I'm just in awe of somebody who can write romances set in Montana or Texas because it seems such a big jump from New Zealand. So I just wonder, have you actually had the experience of living in America or how did that come about? It's a good question. You know, early on in my career when I was writing romance, I was told, um, rightly or wrongly, that Americans like reading about other Americans in America. And um, I guess it was something my agent said to me as well. And so 
I guess those stories, I just started thinking sort of um, more widely. Um, I've sort of always approached my writing from a very business-focused um, place and just realized that that was the biggest audience for me and I needed to really appeal to American readers. Um, I know now a lot of Americans love reading about New Zealand, um, but when I was first starting out, it was American romances seemed to be doing better. Um, I'm a huge horse lover and have always owned and, and ridden horses and we still have horses. So for me, writing about cowboys, I guess I felt I could be authentic in terms of describing what they were doing on horseback and the riding and being around horses, which was really important um, for the stories. Uh, and then also I do have an American agent and I had an American editor as well. So I was able to draw on, on I guess, uh, if I needed anything it, to be steered in the right direction and with Americanisms or anything like that, I, I did have that those two pairs of eyes with my agent and my editor. And it was a, it was a great moment when my agent said to me that I was um, there were less Kiwiisms in, in my stories and she wasn't having to correct so many things. So um, that's sort of how it came about, really. That's fantastic. So how, as a New Zealand writer, did you get an American agent? Yes, well, that wasn't easy, I can tell you. I think it's sometimes harder to get an agent than it is to get an editor. Um, I actually, um, so I've always been involved with the Romance Writers of New Zealand organisation, which are a pretty incredible um, bunch of women, to be honest. And um, I had been going to their conferences. They have an annual conference every year and they have agents and editors uh, from America and the UK coming out there. And I entered a contest. I'd been pitching to agents for, for probably three, four, five years, um, constantly querying them and um, and trying to get them to read my work. But I happened to enter a contest which was for the first three chapters of a romance novel. And I I won the contest and the, the well, the I guess um, I won a pitch with the agent uh, who was coming out, who was Laura Bradford, who's my agent still to this day. And she um, she placed me first in that contest as well. And so did the editor who was reading it. And I ended up signing with that agent and selling to that editor. So I'm all, I always encourage um, new authors or um, you know emerging writers to enter contests and be brave about putting their work out there because especially if there is a fantastic uh, judge at the end of it, you know, it is the most amazing way to short track uh, that process and have your work read by an editor or agent or perhaps both. So that was fantastic for me. And I, I actually saw, so I met my agent at the conference in Auckland. Uh, she was from San Diego and we, yeah, we just clicked and she liked my work and we signed, I signed with her then. That was, you know, nine years ago and we've had a fantastic relationship ever since. Well, that's a great story. Um, yeah. You sound as if you've really come through that track of, starting out with Mills and Boone because you did Navy mm -hmm. SEALs romances as well, didn't you? I did, um, yes. And then graduating from that further and further along. Um, so you would have seen some huge changes in publishing over that time as well. Oh, just enormous changes, and particularly within the romance genre as well. I mean, I know uh, publishing has changed you know, in America particularly, has changed dramatically in all genres, um, with many publishing houses uh, closing down and, you know, ebooks taking off and, and print books um, not selling so well anymore. Uh, and I've also just seen that the, the romance market became quite saturated. There was just so many so many authors, whether it was self-publishing or through uh, through publishing houses, uh, just so the the market was so saturated, which is one of the reasons I was quite keen to branch out into historical fiction. And I, I do think that the market's constantly changing, particularly the self-publishing market. Um, but I do personally feel that, I mean, my years with Mills and Boone were fantastic. My editors there were amazing. They helped and taught me to write so 
tightly and and helped me with plot and and characterization. So um, it, it was a, it was a great apprenticeship, really coming through. I think I wrote fourteen books for them in total. Mm. And we should perhaps mention that you have got a very slightly different name that you write under your historicals. You write as Soraya M Lane, and then That's right. the romance you're just. Soraya Lane. Is there a reason for that difference? Yes. Well, I, I'd always um, written as Soraya Lane. And then when after my first historical fiction book came out um, and Amazon, who are my publisher, Amazon Publishing, my editor there came to me and said, we think we need to just do a slight variation of the name, um, just simply to make it clear that the Soraya M Lane brand is is slightly different to the romances you write for, you know, as Soraya Lane. So it's just a very small difference there. Um, but my my historical fiction appeals to a completely different market, and I don't have a lot of crossover. My contemporary romances are, are very much either cowboy or soldier romances. They're very American. And my historical fiction is, um, I think, as you mentioned before, I normally have three women. It's it's very much women's fiction as opposed to romance. Interesting that you you don't have any, very much crossover. That that is interesting. I, I was wondering about readerships actually, and whether you also noticed a difference between New Zealand and Australian readers and American readers in terms of what they respond to. Sure. I think, I mean, up until recently, my New Zealand and Australian readership for my historical fiction, uh, which is what I'm mainly focusing on now, I haven't really had that much feedback, whereas because my biggest markets are really the US and the UK. And I do get a huge amount of reader emails um, and, you know, messages on social media from my US-based and UK readers. Um it's been really fantastic seeing New Zealand libraries start stocking my books um, and having that feedback from from more New Zealanders, which has been great. I think there are also a lot more uh, Kiwis and Australians buying my books on Amazon and, and reading uh, the Kindle versions. Uh, I don't know if there's necessarily much difference in feedback. I do get some very upset um you know, UK readers telling me that they don't like the American English um, or vice versa. And that's something that's out of my control that my editor or publisher um, takes the lead on. But I think in general, I think most readers um, in whether it's Canada, America, Australia or New Zealand uh, are all looking for a similar type of read. You know, they, they like those stories that are, are really go deep with the characters and, and just, you know, are, are a big, you know, exciting read that they can escape into. Yeah, sure. Um, when we talked a little before we came online, you were mentioning to me that, ironically, although you you would be one of New Zealand's most published authors in, in this genre, your books aren't that readily available in your home country, are they? So No, they're not. That's just because you've got an international publisher, is that why? Look, I suppose so. And it probably comes down to different distribution as well. I think um, it is, on the one hand, it is quite nice to not be known in your home country and um, it's fantastic just being um, having such big readerships in the US and the UK but at the same time it would it would be lovely to see more people here uh, being able to read my books or, or you know seeing my books on bookshelves and work calls and paper plus that would just be fantastic and I do sometimes I find that quite hard not seeing my paperbacks uh, on the shelves here um, but I think slowly that is changing I have another friend who writes um, in a completely different genre to me and you know for a while there she was so wildly popular in America and no one 
Melbourne and New Zealand knew her name, but it's been really nice seeing her books stocked on the shelves um, in New Zealand now and, and, you know, quite rightly so, just seeing how well they've done here too. Um, but no, it is, it's interesting just that that difference. And uh, But I think it probably does come down to distribution. There just isn't, it, I mean, the books are available for our for our, um, our booksellers here, but probably they may not be as, as aware of them. Yeah. Yeah. And also a lot of the New Zealand companies are now owned, they've operated from Australia as well, aren't they? Sure. So yes. that makes it just one step further removed as well. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So what kinds of things have you noticed in terms of reader um, taste and preference over mm-hmm. this period of writing? Is there anything that comes to mind? Look, I think that, I mean, when I started out writing historical fiction and that particularly the World War II genre, you know, for a while there, no one, I mean, publishers hadn't been buying World War II fiction. Uh, they certainly, it certainly wasn't that popular. And then suddenly the genre took off again. And I think it's quite interesting um, because it can be heartbreaking writing something that just simply isn't popular at the moment. And it's interesting just seeing how, you know, it's a real cycle of certain genres being popular and then falling off slightly and something else taking over. So I, I certainly notice now there is a huge amount of of World War II fiction in particular being published within that historical fiction genre. And I think romance, I mean, that's still so strong. But as I said earlier, the market really is saturated. There are so many, um, so many authors writing romance. So it's hard to stand out in that market. But I think that the biggest change I've noticed is is simply the change with self-publishing. So when I first started out, you know, self-publishing was almost a dirty word. You know, it was sort of what you did if absolutely, you know, if, if everyone else had closed their doors in your face. And it certainly wasn't something um, that many people talked about. And then that really changed. And self-publishing is a very valid way to get your material out there now. So that's probably had the biggest impact on the market. Um, price points for Kindle eBooks and other eBooks in general have probably been pushed down because of that. Uh, some of the big five publishers in New York are still trying to get you know, perhaps twelve ninety nine for an ebook uh, version in the US, and whereas a self publishing author might have that book out for two ninety nine. So I've seen a real change in price points and the number of authors putting their material out there, and also just in that self publishing market and ebooks as well. I mean, ebooks have just taken off. I probably sell perhaps 90, I think the last statistics I read, I had 92% of my sales were Kindle eBooks. So it's, it, you know, makes up a huge um, part of my my career and my income now is selling eBooks. Mm-hmm. And I gather there has been a bit of a dip in author incomes as a result of all this change that because the, there's so many self-published authors who just w- are willing to price their books low so they can just get them in front of readers' eyes. Sure. It's uh, made a difference to the whole market. I think it has definitely made a difference to the market. And there are some publishers who have either started up or changed um, the way they operate. I mean, I'm very fortunate to be published by Amazon Publishing. Um, You know, I always think of them, they're just an absolute marketing machine and they really do have their finger on the pulse. So my books are priced, um, I think I'm at $4.99 now in America for my historical fiction titles. The earlier ones were $3.99 and they're very much aware of of price points and and where you need to price in the market um, to, you know, I mean, you don't want to underprice, but you also don't want to be so expensive that someone's not going to, to click on your books and buy them. And my books are certainly on sale at various times uh, for Kindle daily deals or Kindle monthly deals for 99 cents or 199. So I think it's just a matter of making the market work for you. And 
the publishers that have really jumped on board with that with their ebooks, I think, are still doing well, and those authors um, are most likely still, you know, still earning good money um, from those sales. But um, yeah, it can certainly be tough if your books are, aren't priced correctly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But turning to your wider career, just talking a little bit beyond the actual books. You're the mum of two boys living on a small farm in New Zealand. I wonder if yes. you could tell us a little bit about your life before you got into writing and also when you're not writing now. Sure. It seems a long time ago, life before writing. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, <laughs> You've been doing yeah. it pretty much most of your life, haven't you? I have. And, you know, I think um, I'm probably different to some of the other authors that I know well. Um, a lot of lot of authors come to this later in life or they may come to writing, you know, when they've got small children or they're taking a break from their career for some reason. And I think that I feel really fortunate that I actually started writing before I really had another career as such. So I was so determined to be a writer and I think I've always just had that determination that I was just going to keep going and I wasn't going to give up. And I feel fortunate that I did sell to an international publisher and I was able to make a career of writing. So I actually, I graduated with a law degree um, back in, I can't even think what year it was. I went to university actually at 16. So I, I skipped what was then um, our seventh form year and went straight there at 16 to university and did law. So I graduated when I was 20. And I suddenly had this moment where I thought, oh my gosh, I don't really want to be a lawyer. And so I ended up going into, I was a freelance writer for some years. And so I was able to work for you know magazines and um, different publications during the day and from home and then squeeze in writing. And you know I wrote a lot at nighttime uh, until I sold. So I wrote seven books actually, seven full length manuscripts before I sold my first uh, title. Um, so yeah, so I guess I don't really remember too much about life before writing. I've always been writing, always trying to get published and then suddenly that amazing you know phone call or email happens and and you find out someone's going to publish your book so that was that was fantastic I do vividly remember how hard it was um, when I sold my first book I was pregnant with our first son Mackenzie and I well, I had a newborn I had a two book a two um, two book contract um, having to write the books on that contract and I had my day job and I I mean I was still working when I was in labor I was working the first day at hospital I just I mean I look back now and I just you know I mean the words I was putting out was incredible I just I was just constantly writing so I feel very grateful now to only have one job which is writing fiction um, and then obviously um, yeah it's, it's busy having the two boys I've got um, Mac and Hunter and they are eight and five so they're both at school now I've had incredible help from my mum who just you know I owe her everything she was you know whether it was holding newborns um, during the day who wouldn't sleep so I could write um, you know she was here every day helping me and I'm so grateful for that uh, that family support's been amazing um, but yeah I guess when I'm not writing um, you know, I guess every mother knows what it's like. It's a constant juggle between work and family. Um, I don't tend to work weekends anymore unless I have to. Um, we've got we've got um, three lovely ponies here, actually. One's a bit small for the boys now, but we love getting out with the horses on the weekend. Um, we've got a big, crazy, energetic dog who drives us all mad, who we have to exercise constantly. Um, and, yeah, we just love hanging out together and being at home. We're a pretty tight-knit family, to be honest. It's amazing. It impresses me that you did seven books before yes. you found a, an agent and publisher. That takes real grit. Um, and, and I'm sure that some of those probably are, even with a little bit of extra work, publishable. Have you ever been tempted to go back and put them out there? 
Do you know, I think sometimes rewriting is harder than writing. So <laughs> I just haven't. And I know the first few were not worthy of publication. The others may have some merit, but unless you're actually a writer, um, I don't think you'd understand the the energy and effort that goes into writing an entire novel and then the crushing feeling when nobody is interested in publishing it and just putting it down and pulling yourself up off the floor and starting the next book. And I think only a, only another writer can probably understand, um, you know, the, the emotions and how hard that is. But I was just so determined that I was going to be published and I didn't want to just have one book published. I wanted a career um, as, as an author and it was just, you know, I guess I just didn't want to give up. And I, um, you know, that, that's obviously what got me through because I just didn't want to, um, to to give up at all. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, this leads very naturally on to the other favourite question that I like to ask, and that is: Is there one thing in your writing career more than any other that's the secret to your success? And I think in your case, it's sheer determination, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, look, it absolutely is. And it's just that determination, never giving up. And I think also just in terms of my outlook on my career, I very much think of it as a career. It's a business for me. I'm very focused on that. Um, Not only do I need the income from writing, it's, you know, I mean, I need to work and I'd personally much rather be at my computer at home than than working in a law office or or doing anything else that I might have ended up doing. Um, And I, I think the other thing too is that, you know, my editors will send me revision letters um, still to this day after all the books I've been writing with the same editor, you know, they always want changes. They always want you to do different things. They might, you know, in my case, when I started writing historical fiction for Amazon, I was actually writing um, contemporary women's fiction for them as well. And they said, look, those books aren't, aren't selling well enough. They're doing okay. But, you know, we don't want to publish them anymore. We want to grow you in historical fiction. And, you know, I just, it it was hard because I could see how much harder and um, historical fiction was and how much longer those books would take me to write. But, you know, I just, I focus on on the career and on the bigger picture and my editors um, and my publisher and, you know, the marketing department, everybody is so experienced and they know what they're doing and I just trust their advice and I I take their advice on board. I make the changes I have to make. And I think just being adaptable, um, especially in publishing when the market just changes, you know, so dramatically sometimes that it's just so important to be open to change and to look at new directions and take feedback on board. Yeah, that's interesting. You, you know, your comments about the World War Two that does seem to have burgeoned. You know, I've been really only looking closely at the historical fiction market maybe for the last 18 months or so. And even in that time, it's amazing how, I, don't, I suppose it's partly that you become more aware of it and so you notice, but there are a lot of books being published in that niche now, aren't there? Oh, there are. And I think it's, you know, it, it's it's always harder to stand out when there's more and more books published in, in the specific genre you're writing. And I know now, I mean, I keep a very close eye on the Kindle top 100 uh, bestsellers and the number of historical fiction books that are in that are in that top 100 now has just grown enormously. And some of those books, um, there's, you know, there's a, a very popular book um, also published by Amazon called Beneath the Scarlet Sky. Um, and that, you know, that is a very different historical fiction book to mine. I mean, I'm very much writing women's fiction. Um, and But they're, they're all doing well. And I think it's, um, you know, male and female readerships have really embraced that that genre or that specific um, World War II period, which has been really interesting to see. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But this podcast is called The Joys of Binge Reading. So turning to Soraya as reader, yes. um, you obviously have read all your life. Are you a binge reader? And 
Who have you binge read in the past or maybe perhaps be even binge reading today? Sure. Do you know, I've actually just started the Seven Sisters series by oh. Lucinda Riley. Um, I have heard so much about it and my mother in particular has been telling me constantly that I must read it. So I've actually just started the first book. Um, and so that's um, that's been enjoyable. I'm actually haven't, I mean, I do find it very hard to find time for reading unless we're on holiday. Um, but I've started that. Um, one of my other, I'm just thinking who else are so um, I do love sort of suspense and thrillers. I often don't read the same genre that I'm writing in because I like to sort of, um, you know, read something completely different. So I did binge read a lot of Leanne Moriarty books and I really like her stories as well. So Big Little Lies and The Husband's Secret and, and those sort of uh, books. Yes. And then going sort of, I guess back further in time, I loved uh, the Bronze Horseman series um, by Paulina Simmons. And that stands out to me as one of my absolute favourite series. That's interesting. Yes, I must admit, I just have been discovering Lucinda Riley. I must admit, I've been relying on the library to get them. So sure. <laughs> I've tended to read them out of order because it's just when one you've got on hold comes in. But um, Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, they are. There's something absolutely remarkable about them. I'm just really mm -hmm. curious to know how it's all going to end up because I'm sure in the end we must find out a bit more about Par Salt. But, um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I'm only early on into it, but I can already see it's um it's shaping up to be great. I'm very lucky. I actually tend to buy my my mum books that I would like to read. So she has all the books in the series uh, to date sitting there. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to going and stealing them all and reading every single one. Um, that might be you know, for a holiday later in the year. Yeah. I can read all of those. Yeah, it's a luxury to be able to read them in order. I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. Not that it makes that much difference, but. You know, I have found myself thinking now, have I have I read that the twins? Have I read both the twins now or just one of them? You know, that sort of feeling. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I know her other books as well are meant to be fantastic, her standalone books. Um so and I'm actually I'm just looking around. I've got all my books in my office here to see what other um I tell you the other author that I absolutely love is an Australian author, Belinda Alexandra, and she writes some fantastic um stories as well. So she's a, a favorite of mine. Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. Right. So we are starting to run out of time. So just circling around, looking back over this wonderful career that you've had, at this stage, if you were doing it all again, what would you change, if anything? That's a great question. Um, do you know, I think there are things that I would like to change uh, that I probably would, I mean, don't have any control over. So, I mean, the amount of years that I was writing before I was published, um, I would like to shorten that time from seven perhaps down to four years. <laughs> I think um, I needed a few years as my writing apprenticeship just to find my voice and develop my style. Um, but no, you know, I've been happy with how everything's happened. I'm very much, my agent's very proactive. We've got a great relationship. You know, she helps me find every opportunity uh, and I take every opportunity, whether it means that I have, you know, crazy deadlines and I have no idea how I'm going to meet my deadlines. Um, you know, I just, I think as, as long as you're always saying yes and open to change and new, new opportunities, um, you know, it, it just keeps your career moving in different directions, which can be surprising. But I'm actually happy with how it's all, all panned out, to be honest. And talk about your working style a little bit. Are you um, a workaholic? Do you like to do a lot of plotting? How do you approach every book? 
Oh, look, definitely workaholic. Um, I And that's sometimes out of necessity because, you know, trying to, um, as a writer, make sure that you have enough income coming in for the year and that sort of thing can be um, can sometimes be a juggling act. Um, but no, do you know, I used to be what um, I guess you'd call a pantser, so writing by the seat of my pants um, and not doing a lot of plotting. When I'm writing contemporary romance, I think I can get away with that and I, I can enjoy that process. Um, I ran into a lot of trouble trying to do that as a historical fiction author. So I I now do a huge amount of plotting for my historical fiction. Um, I pretty much work out a character arc and plot each individual character. So often that's three um, three main women um, in my story. And then I also have an overall plot um, and a, a general story arc as well. So And then just trying to figure out how those character arcs, um, I guess, all, all, all meet together and how it all works out through the story. Um, my editor now is insisting that I do a chapter-by-chapter plot or um, outline which just about kills me uh, but I the first time I did it um, which was actually the last book I wrote with her it was just amazing how streamlined it was um, the revisions that we had and the the edits that we worked through was so much lighter because we'd kind of nutted out all the issues uh, back and forth um, for each chapter so although there were surprises still through the novel um, it did make the writing process much much better for me so I'm now a converted plotter I suppose oh that's fantastic and so do you do all of that work before you even start writing a single word Yes. Well, actually, I did start writing the first chapter just to get a feel for the story. Um, But yeah, I mean, my historical fiction, I normally do a lot of research first. I have all those research notes. And then, and yeah, I often do what I sort of probably call a back cover blurb. So I sort of do a a two or three paragraph pitch for my editor and then a basic outline. And if she's happy with that, then we we develop that out. And I I write um, a bigger outline. She sends it back to me with all sorts of notes over it. And we sort of go back and forward like that so that um, I guess we're both happy with the amount of conflict, um, how the characters, uh, how the characters sort of change through the story and how it all works out. Fantastic. It sounds amazing. So what is next for Soraya, the writer? I mean, what have you got on your plate, say, for the next 12 months? Sure. So I've got um, The Girls of Pearl Harbor, which is coming out July 16th, which I'm very excited about. Um, I'm also pitching new ideas for new historical fiction. So I'm hoping that I'll have um, details of those new stories on my website in the next few months. Uh, I'm finishing up a contemporary romance story at the moment as well um, for St. Martin's um, St. Martin's Press. Uh, and yeah, I actually didn't actually, I never actually mentioned to you, I, I also write middle grade fiction for children. So I write that, those stories as Soraya Nicholas. So I had a, um, a series that was actually um, available in New Zealand. It was on, in all the bookstores, uh, book which was great. Um, and that was called Starlight Stables. So um, I really enjoyed writing for children and that sort of, I guess, eight to 12 uh, age readership. And I'm working on a new middle grade story as well. So I am definitely, when you asked before whether I was a workaholic, I think you'd probably say yes. I'm always working on multiple projects and, and always thinking of new ideas. Fantastic. You mentioned your website. So, and it sounds like you are very active in, in the marketing side of things as well. Whereabouts can readers find you online and how is it best to interact with you? Sure. So you can find me online and more information at my website, which is www.sorayalane.com. So that's S-O-R-A-Y-A-L-A-N-E.com. I'm also on Facebook, which is probably where I have most of my um, interaction with readers, um, as well as Twitter and Instagram. Um, but if you head to my website, you can find all those links. So um, Facebook is probably the, the fastest way to um, to engage with me online, but I always answer emails. So uh, it may take me a day or two sometimes, but I always respond to my readers. I love hearing from readers. 
Thank you so much, Soraya. I'm I'm sort of blown away by how much you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so am I sometimes. <laughs> but it's been wonderful talking to you and I think the Pearl Harbor book sounds wonderful. We'll look for that with interest. Great. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here today. You're welcome, my dear. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.